Buckets and Dan, episode 37. Dan, I mean, what do you want to call this? The Matt Ellis special? The Casey Middlestad special? We got Sabres around the corner. But, Dan, aren't we focusing on our Buffalo Bills this week? We have a jam-packed show, Bill. But before we get to all that, we have a lot to get to. First, starting with a new sponsor. New sponsor. Great people. Pizza Works on Maple. Um, Dan, I mean, these people, the Dressels, they're so, so kind and generous. They fed us as we recorded uh, some of our first early interviews with some great Colts beat writers. So we'll be we'll be plugging Pizza Works, some of the best pizza and wings around throughout the show, but really thankful for them this week. You mentioned the beat writers. We have two outstanding guests this week, Kevin Bowen of 1070 The Fan in Indianapolis and Andrew Walker of Colts.com. Both were kind enough to join us. We broke it up into two separate interviews. A lot of good stuff getting you ready for this weekend's Game between the Colts and the Bills. Buckets, the first home playoff game in 25 years. It's been a magical season. We'll recap the Week 17 finale, but we have some quick bullet materials to get to first before we head over to Q&A. I want to thank you. I'm sure a lot of our fans saw it, the Stevie Johnson cameo. He brought. He had some cool lines in there, brought some energy. It's always cool to hear from Stevie. I was a little disappointed he didn't mention he'd come on the pod. Yeah, had Bobby Valentine for you last year, and maybe we won't hear about Stevie, but, Dan, we got a heck of a Buffalo sports blast from the past in the works for next week. That could be pretty epic, but we're going to keep that on the down low right now. Dan, I kind of want to start off by by talking about hockey. That's Tuesday night, USA-Canada gold medal game. You had two big-time Sabre prospects in that game, Three. Dylan Cousins, Jack Hughes, and, yes, a defenseman as Jack well. Quinn. Jack Quinn. Jack Quinn. I wish Jack Hughes was a Sabres <laughs> prospect. But, Dan, it was really, really neat to see USA get gold. And then, you know, Pagula, he's a smart guy. He knows a winning culture when he sees one. He saw that losing culture that Team Canada had going on. So he, he sent the chartered flight out for uh, Cousins and got Is him back true? to Buffalo. Is that true? Did he do that? Yeah, those guys were on a flight. Imagine those three guys <laughs> getting together on a flight right to That's Buffalo. Awkward. That's epic. It's very awkward. Yeah, a couple takeaways I had from the game. I thought it was – I, it got me excited for hockey. Is it was really fun, up and down. It, I, the interview, I forget even the player that had it, but the interview before the game of how confident the USA was going into that game against a team that a lot of people thought was the greatest World Junior team ever to hit the ice. They were outscoring their opponents 41-6 coming in. They never trailed the whole series, and it seemed like USA knew the whole time that they were going to win, which I think is wild. They got off to an early lead, and then which is like just the sign of a good team, Start of the second period, you expect Canada to come out guns blazing. USA comes out harder, gets a second goal, putting the the uh, Canada team back on their heels again. The goalie stood on his head. It, a Florida prospect. When's he going to get a chance to play well, with Bobrovsky? First round pick last year. Bobrovsky signed for like ten years there, so that'll be interesting. But and actually, I think Florida has both goalies. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, I think that's true. I could be wrong. Uh, so, yeah, that was fun to watch. Did, I know you're watching on your phone. Do you have any other takeaways except that Cousins' classic Sabres choke job, huh? No, but, you know, get him back to Buffalo winning culture. That's all we know about is winning here in the 716, Dan. Dan, let me tell you, speaking of winning and speaking of winners, my dad's favorite football player of all time had a tryout with the Bills, Chad Kelly. What's your takeaway from that? I think they're just trying to – just trying to get a little info, any little information they can out of the Colts, which is funny because the Colts just signed that receiver we just released, that Gary Jennings, whatever, trying uh, to pick up. Yeah, a little tit for tat. K 
Kenny Stills as well to the Bills practice squad. Dan, a little hot take. Will he play a game in the playoffs for the Buffalo Bills? I hope not because that means someone got hurt. So, no. But I do think that it's a great little futures contract. I don't know. I'm sure it's not an actual futures contract. But something to keep in mind if they do decide, which I highly recommend not doing, moving on from John Brown. But it's it's awesome that Kenny Stills really had the pick of his litter and pick the Buffalo Bills to join their practice squad. That's yep. the kind of culture the Bills have built. Absolutely. Speaking of that culture, Dan, you get a chance to read that Deion Dawkins Players Tribune interview. That someone was chopping onions around me at that time. It might have been might have been shedding a tear or two. Thank God I was on my lunch period when I did it. If you haven't read the Deion Dawkins Player Tribune, first of all, shame on you at this point. Second of all, stop the recording. Pause it right now. Go listen. I'm going to try to wrap it up as quickly as I can while reading that. All right, every little emotion I had throughout the season fell into that article. These group of men, and this is the same thing you say at the end of a year when you're a coach, all right, this group will never play another regular season game together. All right, they'll, they'll, they'll keep the core, but this group of guys that has gone 13-3 and captured the hearts of our city will never play again. And it goes back to what Mr. Wagren called you out on a few weeks ago. Just enjoy every goddamn second of this season because at best case scenario, best case scenario, excuse me, this season only lasts a little over a month. All right, and that's it. Then we're then we're moving on. We're doing whatever. And worst case scenario, it ends before that. So every single day, appreciate these Buffalo Bills and what they've done for this community. I love that he kept on mentioning that. Obviously. The, the circumstances in this world are much bigger than football, but he's just happy that they could provide a little glimpse. And that what really got me with those, you know, the chopped onions is when he said, we just hope that you can lift your head a little higher in this city, knowing what you guys are going through because of our team. And he calls it, you know, they're, you know, they're part of this city and they're part of this community. And it really was like, it, there's Dan Dawkins has done nothing since he's gotten here to not prove what a great guy awesome. he is, and um, he does the the the, the sh, like the snowman uh, gala or whatever like that. Like he's he's just a fun um, guy. It also helps that he's really good. Like he's they really they good. locked him up and he's their franchise left tackle. But it, it just proves the culture they've built. And it was from the first sentence to the last. It was really fun because you could just hear it hear Dawkins saying it while you're reading it. It was literally unbelievable. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. Speaking of culture being built or maybe not so much, I got a I got a little little bit of a call out here for for a, for a local basketball program. Meanwhile, the UB football program had a fantastic year, really no COVID scares at all. Really seemed like a disciplined bunch. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the wheels are falling off for UB basketball, man. They had the stabbing incident in the summertime. And then you got Jim Beheim saying earlier in the year that they'll never have UB basketball come back to the Carrier Dome because of the way they treated, you know, everything there, the trash talk, what's or not. And you got Chance Robinson, Dan, if you got a chance to read about this I, I story. I saw the headline. Look, kidnapping, assault charges from Louisiana. Oh, who left, hasn't? Left the program. I'll tell you, I, I think that ice might be getting a little bit thin for Jim Whitesell, and I think Mark Allnut is probably starting to grow a little bit tired of all the shenanigans going on. Speaking of, you know, not really shenanigans, but Canisius basketball on pause. So is Niagara. Um, so, I mean, it's just, you know, the dominoes are falling here in the local basketball scene. So, and you know what? I it, we This is annoying. We, we've reached out to Niagara Canisius for <laughs> interviews, and I guess they're too busy to talk to us. Free oh. publicity, you know, that's probably, those are two, those are two uh, not so great PR staffs over there. Well, yeah, they're also dealing with some COVID stuff. So yeah, I think but that's it. They yeah. don't have fans to worry about. Yeah, they don't have right, live right, games. Right, right. 
Um, last day before we go to Q&A. All right, I, I just wrote on our little prep here, 2020 stat of the year. You tell me what's a more impressive stat, Bill. There have been 40 straight Stanley Cup finals with at least one player who played with Yarmir Yager during his career. The last year it didn't happen was 1979. <laughs> that's impressive. Or what? Or so that's option A. I have to fact check you there. Option B is the last surviving widow of a Civil War veteran died this week. That that's wild. Is that tr- is that possible? <sighs> well, let's take a look. This is according to Twitter, so it must be true. So I'm looking at like kind of an official document. It's by the Commander in Chief of the Sons of Union Veterans of the Civil War, Jonathan C. Davis. He's the national. Uh, oh, oh no, Brian Pearson. I'm looking at here. Okay, and it says it is my sad duty to report the death of Helen Viola Jackson, 101 years old. Helen married Private James Boylan on September 4th. 1936. He was 93. She was 17. So there you go. That's yeah, that's how we bridge that, that, that gap. That explains that. So I'll go with Yager. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now you have it. 2020 stat of the year. Let's get to some Q&A. Here we go. Question. What kind of bear is best? It's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Why are you the way that you are? What'd you do? Hey, what do you guys like better, nurse or cheerleader? Dan, let's do a little Q&A. We're going to start. We're going to go out to New Jersey. Donnie Tunuts writes in again. and Donnie. This one is for Dan. All From right. Don to Dan. Hey, y'all boys, what is going on? Break down what happened to me Sunday night because I am still seeing red from the stupid Philadelphia Eagles screwing over my G-Men's playing ch- playoff odds. Donnie Two Nuts playing both sides of the coin. I think he had a Jets question. Should have changed the name. Um, first of all, before I get into this, I want to congratulate Alex Smith on getting into the playoffs. Okay, The guy suffers a career-threatening injury in 2018, needs 17 surgeries to keep his leg. They told him his, he literally might die. Um, he makes the Washington football team's roster in 2020 as a number three quarterback. Regains job as a starter week 10 and beats the undefeated Steelers week 13. Gets into the playoffs week 17. I'm sure all of the work that Alex Smith put in is immediately has been finally justified as he got the big congratulations and hats off from Dan. Yes. Well, it's a bit. I mean, I did also send him a text message, so that helped. But um, here's my thoughts on the Philadelphia thing. If I'm a Giant, if you're a Giants fan or even that blowhard coach, just shut up. You won six games. You have no right to complain. It sucks for you. Win another game. If you're an Eagles fan, I would be happy with the decision. All right? The only thing I could say was it kind of burns a bridge with the, your somewhat start, like somewhat future quarterback in Jalen Hurts. That if you would have discussed it ahead of time, maybe or whatever, but – the thing is, you moved up three spots. That's equivalent if you go by that draft, you know, the Jimmy Johnson draft board thing. That's a second-round pick you're moving up for. So if you wanted to go from nine to six, you'd have to give somebody a second-round pick, basically. That, for a meaningless game, yeah, I, I think it's a good move. For a head coach to do it out of nowhere, and I, according to reports, tell the players to, like, shut the F up when they were questioning him about it, that's how you lose a locker room. And there are some – some football bros on that team. Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey. There's no way he's happy. You're you're burning a lot of bridges in that locker room. I don't know if you can regain that trust. Maybe time heals. Maybe they get a stud six overall. He comes in and they understand the move. 
But again, and I oh, thank God I blocked Mike Harrington. I can only imagine his thoughts on it. But if you're anti-tanking and anti, and and I don't get me started on these integrity of the game people. I hate the integrity of the game people. The integrity of the game is to win. Don't you can shove your integrity up your hoo ha. I I I think that. It wasn't a big deal. I do think it's going to have ramifications on the locker room, but if I'm an Eagles fan, I like the move. That's what I'm going to say on it. Let's move on to our next question. Bubba Ray from Birmingham all the way down south. Well, slap my flabby belly red, Buckets and Dan. My man, Devontae Smith, brings home the Heisman. How impressive is it to you guys for a wide receiver to win an MVP MVP-type award in today's era of football, Mr. Buckets. Well, he's the first receiver to do it since 1991 when Desmond Howard out of Michigan got it. So, And he deserved it, okay? We're talking about a guy who was first in the country in receptions, first in yards, and first in touchdowns with 20 touchdowns on the season. If he didn't get this award, you might as well change the name of the award to the top quarterback in the country. So, yes, he deserved the award. And just quickly going back to your Philly point, if imagine if Philly, you know, goes from nine to six because they lose that game and get a guy like Devonta Smith, you know, I, I guess long term it's 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 going to be the right move for them. But yes, I agree with everything you said prior as well. All right, thank you, uh, Bubba Ray. You're up, Bill. I am up, and I'm just well. This one was a handwritten one, so hang on. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is Mary Ellen from St. Paul, Minnesota. Just handing Justin Herbert the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think we need to take a closer look at Justin Jefferson and talk and discuss the type of role he played stepping in for Stephon Diggs and the numbers he put up. Dan, does he have a legitimate chance at Offensive Rookie of the Year? Let's look at let's look at Herbert's case first. Sets the all-time rookie record for touchdown passes in a single season. But, I don't know, the, the team wasn't good. He wasn't clutch. Uh, I don't know. It seemed like he had the the lead the whole time. All right, but Justin Her Ju excuse me, Justin Jefferson was a monster from start to finish. Finishes the year with 88 catches, a record 1,400 yards for a rookie, seven touchdowns. I mean, these are Pro Bowl numbers coming from a guy that was a late first round draft pick and filling into a position with a like the the team already had a solidified number one receiver he kind of took over that role from Adam Thielen very impressive i do think it's impressive i just think like many of these awards they're quarterback driven and herbert will will get the award but i do think it's a lot closer than a lot of people think let's move on to our next question here oh our good friend ernie ernie from jacksonville yeah, ernest. yep ernest from jacksonville what do you make of Shad Khan's comments about roster control? Did you hear, hear those comments when I he did. said? And what is with these Urban Wire rumors? Do you think he could succeed in the NFL, Mr. Buckets? Um, yeah, starting with the latter, I, I have a hard time believing that Urban Meyer will succeed in the NFL. Yes, he has a ton of success developing quarterbacks. His win-loss percentage in his college career is really off the charts. But at the college level – you can pretty much keep these guys super, super accountable. You can be kind of a jerk um, and be super, super rigid, whereas in the NFL you kind of got to strike a balance. And I think McDermott does a really good job of that. He has the great structure, but, you know, allows these guys to be individuals, and I think he does it right. I, I think um, Urban Meyer is a little bit too far over the edge, so for that reason I don't really think it would work out. 
Um, and to your second point, yeah, I would. that's a red flag for me if I'm a potential GM candidate and the owner is telling me that he's going to have final say. So it doesn't really, not super excited about the prospects there. I would agree with that. Dan, we got Jerry from The Real Steel. That's that's a hashtag. He says, The Real Steel City in Lackawanna. Hey, uh, first time, long time, love the show. Dan, you, you've been harping about it for weeks, so I want your final take now. We have completed week 17. Should Josh Allen be the MVP of the NFL? No. And actually, the the, the way I want to take this is I, would, I should have done some research on comparing <laughs> the offensive player of the year. Because like, the podcast I've been listening to say, well, you might have a case for offensive player of the year. How can – like, shouldn't – I don't know. What is the difference between – how does the NFL differentiate – between offensive player of the year and MVP. And people are saying, oh, Diggs has a shot. I guess that goes to like a non-quarterback. No, I do think Aaron Rodgers deserves it, but you, we'll get to Josh Allen's stats later when we talk about the season as a whole. You couldn't have asked for a bigger step for him to take this year in year three. He's solidified himself as an elite quarterback in the NFL. But And if this season would have happened last year, I do think, I, I really do, I think he would have beaten Lamar Jackson for MVP. But the top 10... Since they started doing quarterback ratings, the top ten of all time, three of them are this year with Rodgers, Mahomes, and Allen. So, and I do think he finishes ahead of Mahomes. I think that um, the national media has fallen in love with him. Is kind of like the guy that's proving everybody wrong. But Rodgers has been too good. He's he's the numbers speak for themselves. He's got four interceptions on the year. He's he's a freak. So I do think uh, Allen took Allen will finish second, but no, uh, Rodgers will finish first. Let's swing it back down south to our good friend Wyatt, the diehard Texans fan, also a rancher down in the Houston area, so nice to hear from you again, Wyatt. He said, y'all boys in Buffalo have had a real good year, but my man Deshaun Watson led the league in passing. Now, quickly to go off Wyatt's email for a second, is it just wild that the guy that led the league in passing went 4-12? and That's how crappy their team is? From behind. So, Oh, that's a good point, Bill. Um, going back to his email, if you were starting an NFL team tomorrow, who would your top five quarterbacks be? Did a lot of thought and research. If I'm starting my NFL franchise tomorrow, and I'm, I'm taking age, obviously, into account here, but at five, I have Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow would be at four for me if he didn't have that really, really devastating knee injury, which puts some things in question for him. I don't think you can argue against that. At four, I got Justin Herbert. I mean, 31 and 13 this this year, 31 touchdown passes, 13 picks. Uh, the sky's the limit for him if you think about where Allen was at his hat in his rookie year. Um, Deshaun Watson at number three, uh, fantastic quarterback, huge fan, still young. And Josh Allen, two, Patrick Mahomes, one. That's how I'm ranking him. If I'm starting a franchise tomorrow, that's how I want him. I would – I. St- Mm, yeah, it's tough. I think the three are the top three are locks. Who else would be consideration? I guess. I guess you could try you to go hold. like Wilson. Yeah, go to, yep, I was right. gonna say you could try to. I would put Wilson ahead. Of, uh, I don't know if I would. That's actually a good point. Guys are so young. That's I know. I might switch Burrow and Herbert just because I think. Ah, man, that the is knee tough. thing. The knee thing. Is I know, oh, man. <laughs> that's a good. Wyatt brought it this yeah. week. All right. Well, I'll mull on that for a little bit. Uh, I have another one for you, Bill. This is my question to you. The Hall of Fame finalists came out a couple days ago at this point. Who do you got? Well, I'll just say this, and it's it, we're finally – I mean, we've been doing this for the last few years, but 
starting to feel a little bit old, right, Dan? I mean, these are guys that we watched not when we were little kids, but kind of, you know, up through our, our early teenage years at this point. Um, a couple guys that really, really should be Hall of Famers. One guy, maybe not this year, but he's in in the next couple of years. That's Alan Fanica, absolute stud. But the guy who needs to get in, he was a finalist last year, and I don't – he's going to be a bubble guy – but that's Zach Thomas to me. Zach Thomas, you know, not the most flashy linebacker, but so solid. There's two linebackers in the entire Hall of Fame right now who have more career tackles than him. That's Ray Lewis and Derek Brooks. I can go through his numbers all day, but they speak for themselves. Uh, absolute stud. Zach Thomas deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you have to think the other locks are – is Reggie Wayne a lock, or is it his second year? You'd think he'd be a lock. I don't know. I thought he had I think a... it's his second year. Wow, that's wild. Charles Woodson's going to be a lock. Woodson and Manning are the two locks Got for it. me. Got it, yeah. I think, you know what? I was looking up Jared Allen's numbers last year. Two-time All-Pro. Did you see his numbers in Minnesota? They're wild. Unbelievable. Wild. Funny guy, too. Yeah, like his retirement video. Rode off into the sunset. Yep. You son of a... Um, okay, let's see what our next question is. Yeah, Dan, I got one for you, and, and and I'm not a huge TV, fictional TV guy. I know you are. So here's the question, and I didn't come up with it. I saw it somewhere. I know it was blowing up on our Twitter. But, Dan, I'll ask you, if you could add one fictional football player from a TV show or movie to this Bills playoff roster to help push them toward a Super Bowl, who would that be? Yeah, so this actually did gain some nice traction uh, on our Twitter feed. So if you want to go give your answer, go to our Twitter feed, at Buckets and Dan. My f- ini- so when you look at this, my initial thought was, well, let's just try to find a position of need. And if that's the case, maybe a third linebacker, maybe a speedy running back, um, a big receiver, maybe a, a defensive tackle in the middle, stuff like that. That So – the guy Vernon Littlefield from Ballers was brought up by friend of the show Mike Licata. And then I thought, well, let's how about Nelly's character in the longest yard? Bring some speed, some agility, some missed tackles out of the backfield. And then then you gotta start thinking about pass rush. Maybe Julius Campbell up brings it off the edge from Remember the Titans. <laughs> and then an obvious answer popped into the Twitter feed, and actually our good friend Dan also sent us this immediately. Bobby Boucher has to be the answer. He's unblockable. He gets to the quarterback. He brings some levity to the locker room, if you will. Um, so I, I think the answer has to has to be Bobby Boucher. But again, give your answers. I think it's a it's a fun topic. Give your answers on our Twitter feed. Let's move on to some Bills talk. Uh, let's we'll wrap. How about this, Bill? We'll we'll wrap up the game and then we'll get into some interviews. Let's go. Bill, what I want to do here is let's quickly wrap up the Week 17 game, and then I want to just think about this season as a whole. All right, I I wrote down some stats I've been piling up from various tweets and my own research as well. But first, this Miami game. We were both, if correct me if I'm wrong, we were both on the side of let's let's you know get out there, maybe a, a drive or two, see if Allen could break the record, see if some other guys could get some numbers, and then sit everybody. We want to avoid injury. Well, the Bills stuck to their guns of sticking to the process, and they wanted to, I guess, make a statement, and they wanted to have fun. And it, it truly could not have worked out better going into the playoffs than what happened in Week 17 versus Miami with a 56-26 to win. Started a little shaky, didn't it, with an Allen pick, and then you had Milano and Teron Johnson yep. down on the field. So I was holding my head, but you're right, Dan. It came out. We came out on top. The switch that this offense can – 
can flip is literally unbelievable. It did look like they were sleepwalking through the first few few drives, and then they got creative. That one play that's been buzzing on Twitter, the max protect, and then you just have two wide receivers going out. Like Dable's just just literally He's toying with teams. Yeah, he really is toying with teams. And it was a must-win game for Miami. They came out flat. Tua looked scared and not ready for the moment. In a must-win game, the Dolphins were down 28-6 at halftime, and this included a drive by the Bills where I was – what's the – I had butterflies in the in my tummy after uh, watching this drive to end the half. Four plays, 75 yards, 44 seconds for a touchdown to John Brown. It was literally unbelievable. That play actually I just talked about. But Allen finishes with one half of football, 18 for 25, 224 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. It was also an unbelievable pick by – um, yeah, was it Byron Howard? Jones? Byron Jones, yeah. And Isaiah McKenzie, have a day, Isaiah McKenzie. Six catches, sixty-five yards, two touchdowns, a punt return touchdown. Becomes the first Buffalo Bill with a passing TD, rushing TD, receiving TD, and punt return TD in his career. I'm really happy for him. He's been a really good player in his limited role for the past few years with this team. Seems like a really good guy, really likable guy. So I'm kind of happy he had kind of his day. Yeah, and it's you know what else it does is give them confidence if Beasley can't go that they do have a weapon out of the slot. Diggs is so funny. If if we did continue to bet the over on Diggs catches, they probably didn't have a line that week. They did not. He would have hit again. Seven catches for 65 yards in one half of football. He's literally unbelievable. Uh, Gabe Davis had a fun day. Two catches, 170. Excuse me, 107 yards for a touchdown. John Brown, welcome back, baby. Four catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. Josh Norman with a pick six. Dean Marlowe, two interceptions. We were just stomping on them from start to finish. Our backups, our backups, Bill, outscore the Dolphins 28-20 in the second half. And let's talk about some actual takeaways. Again, we talked about there was not a better case scenario. Uh, the starting running backs were a little bit of a concern. And I know this is what uh, our buddy Shane Hurley wrote in a Q&A we forgot to get to, but so hopefully he's still listening. But he wants to know if Antonio Williams could get any burn in this playoffs. It was clear that he's got fresh legs. He's got a little burst that the other two maybe don't. I think everybody needs to pump the brakes a little bit. There's a lot more that goes into the running back position. Your thoughts? Yeah, a little bit too small of a Drew sample size uh, for me. Uh, so, yeah, he, he looked really good. And guy who looks to be able to compete next year for the third running back position, I think they'll be waving bye-bye to TJ Yeldon. Yeah, and the thing about Williams is he was – like there was a violence in his run, which was fun to see. Hey, and I'm not going to compare him to Le'Veon Bell, but I am because he also struck me with that patience that he had. He got the ball, did his little stutter step, and then every single time he, he, kind of, he showed a really good burst through the hole and was always moving the pile forward. And those were the Miami starters, so I wouldn't be pissed if they if they had Williams in the lineup on Saturday. I think it's also – it's hard to – maybe remember that the coaching staff saw this kid every single day the whole season. So if they really thought he could maybe be a difference on game day against a a team of a playoff caliber or like in the starting lineup or whatever, it would have happened already. But it's also good for him not to – we're going way too long on this Antonio Williams point, but he was the human yo-yo early in the year too. He's cut, yeah, he's brought know, back, he's cut, he's brought back. So I was happy for him. That's uh, Bill, I have a question for you. Are you more confident than ever that the Dolphins are going to be drafting a quarterback in the third overall pick? <sighs> I believe in that staff. I think they're going to be smart enough to draft a quarterback. I hope they don't. And people, I'm getting so much flack from this from people who think I'm an idiot for saying this. 
and I'm way too quick to judge Tua. He just doesn't – I don't see the tools there. So if they're smart, they'll draft a guy. Um, but I don't think they – I don't know what they're going to do. I think it's going to be awesome drama to see what happens in the NFL draft this year. Yeah, Flores in their GM already came out saying he's the quarterback of the future, but it's funny, everyone quote-tweeted that with the tweet that the Cardinals had Cliff about Kingsbury. Kingsbury backing up Josh Rosen before they drafted Kyler Murray. The thing is – Tell you what, Dan, real quick, yeah. I'm sorry to interject, but you can't help by gravitating towards Justin Fields after watching that game, and you don't want to get caught up in the moment too much, but he had a really nice career with Ohio State, and, Dan, he had to have cracked some ribs on that big tackle from that – Clemson linebacker who got thrown out again to show his toughness to come back and throw six touchdowns. I think you're going to have teams that are going to be seeing that and see you know, that's a guy who can push it downfield, um, and it might be worth a chance. You just invest. All right, so here's my case to keep him. If you're a Dolphins fan, I want him to keep him because I don't think he's really going to be that good. However, he's a rookie quarterback from a not-really-pro-style offense. I mean, he's throwing to the elite of the elite in college who are wide open all the time. He had no training camp, no mini camp. His weapons were hurt all year. He had three rookie starters on the offensive line. It wasn't a team – they got very lucky this year. It wasn't a team ready to compete this year. They tried jumping the gun like the Bills did in 2017. They couldn't finish the job. I think if I'm a Dolphins fan, I would not be thrilled – if they drafted a quarterback, I think you just load up on weapons around him. I really do. And then you could get creative and try to get one in the future. To me, Justin Fields doesn't scream, can't miss prospect, let's draft him, he's better than Tua. That it's would be my point. Into. Or Both. Zach Wilson or whatever, but that's you're right. That's something we can get into worth later. Looking into, I don't know if this argument makes sense, but the Bills try to surround E.J. Manuel with weapons. It didn't work out so well. All right. Well, that's it. <laughs> I guess the guy has it or he doesn't. That's true. That's true. Let's let, let's take a second to appreciate, and I'm going to run down these stats. And you could interject with a wow or a comment on anything. But this season as a whole, again, there are 50-year-old fans that are saying this is the most fun season they've ever watched for the Bills. It is. I mean, I've never heard anything more obvious besides when people say, Dan, you have the biggest forehead I've ever seen, of a statement that this is the most fun season we've ever had as fans. Okay? Josh Allen. Finishes with a 69.2 completion percentage, over 4,500 yards, 37 passing, excuse me, yeah, 37 passing touchdowns, 10 interceptions, eight more rushing touchdowns, a receiving touchdown. Finishes first in franchise history in all those categories. Completion percentage, quarterback rating, touchdowns, yards for a single season, uh, 412 yards rushing. Finished top five in the NFL in all of those. Completion percentage, passing yards, passing touchdowns, passing first downs, passing yards per attempt, passer rating, and QBR. First player in NFL history with at least 4,500 yards, passing 35 touchdown passes and five rushing touchdowns in a single season. How about who he's throwing to? His weapon, his good buddy, Stephon Diggs. Leads the league in receptions and yards. 1,120, excuse me, 127 receptions the sixth most in NFL history for a single season, and really not that far behind the all-time leader, Michael Thomas, who said it last year with 149. He's – how about this staff? There's another fun staff. If you the if you combine the top two receiver combos for a team, the Bills led the league. Him, Diggs, and Beasley combined for over 2,500 yards, 
Metcalf and Lockett are tied for second with a little, excuse me, a little over 2,300 yards. And they, what I'm starting to like is these Chiefs fans getting a little pissed that the Bills are getting more love. You got all these Chiefs fans saying, oh, why don't you include a tight end and receiver for Hill and Kelsey? They had 2,692, very impressive. They had 100 more yards, big deal. Um, once we get a real tight end of this offense, it's going to be really scary. Let's talk about the offense as a whole. 501 points on the year. Bang! Second in the NFL to Green Bay. Bang! Second in yards behind Kansas City. Bang! Tied for the most first downs. Bang! Best third down percentage. Bang! Almost 50%. They joined the 2012 Patriots as the only team to ever record 20 or more first downs in all 16 games. Bang! Everyone was pissed at their point differential earlier in the year. Weeks oh. 1 through 8. Weeks 1 through 8, Bill. Yep. Minus 1. Weeks... 9 through 17, plus 127. The last three games, they're averaging over 47 points, over 357 passing yards, over 487 total yards, and 88-point differential. This season, Brian Dable's offense, I don't know how they justify this or measure it, a, a 51% of their overall plays on offense were deemed successful. Over half their plays. Bang. That's literally unbelievable. 49.4% of their drives ended in an offensive score only behind Green Bay. I would be remiss if I didn't say their defense picked it up in the second half. They end up fourth in ta takeaways. They creeped their stats up to middle of the road, but they've been playing much better. And you tweeted out earlier, and Tim Graham had a great article on it, nobody's giving love to this special teams unit, and I don't understand why. Josh Allen had four – well, I'll tell you one reason. Josh Allen had 46 touchdowns. Bork has only had 41 punts on the season, but he did qualify to – excuse me, he had enough to qualify for league stats. He finishes with just enough. The minimum was 39. He finishes first in the NFL in gross average at 50.8 yards per punt. He's the only NFL punter this year to average over 50 each punt. He had the longest punt of the year, 72, and I don't really know if this is true, but to me he had the best punt in the history of the world. One yard. At that one yard line, it went out the other day. How about Tyler Bass? Everybody wanted him cut after the Jets game. But he's a Georgia Southern man. So we stuck by him. Sets the franchise record in points for a season. 141 passes Steve Christie's 140 set in 1998. Missed five of his fifth excuse me, missed five of his first 15 professional field goals, including three from 38 yards or in and an extra point in week four. He's converted 16 of his last 17. The only miss was a 61-yarder at the end of the first half against the Seahawks. He's made 54, 55, 58 all in the second quarter versus the Cardinals. They're aggressive. Only the Dolphins return a higher percentage of punts. They ranked third in kickoff coverage, 17th in punt coverage. Bill, this duo are 23 and 24 years old, Tyler Bass and Corey Bohorquez. They're going to be together for a decade. It's unbelievable. It's literally unbelievable. I, I, it's, I, if we drew up best-case scenarios for the Bills this year, preseason, which we'll, we'll make that a segment next year, you, I couldn't have scripted how well the offense and special teams did. The only thing we could have said was the defense played a little better, but they're rolling of late. That Brandon Bean's an architect. Whew. All right, I'm out of breath there. We have to preview this game versus the Indianapolis Colts. We brought on two great guests. How this is going to work, we're going to talk to guest number one, Kevin Bowen of 1170, the fan in Indianapolis. He's going to break down the Buffalo Bills offense versus the Colts defense. Then we bring in another good friend of the show now, Andrew Walker of Colts.com. He discusses the Colts offense versus the Bills defense. Take a listen. Here we go. 
This interview is brought to you by Dressel Chiropractic. Dr. Chris Dressel offers a safe, effective, and affordable care for a variety of conditions, including low back pain, sciatica, headaches, neck pain, and shoulder pain. Dr. Dressel uses the latest in evaluation and treatment options to not only properly diagnose any ache or pain you're experiencing, but also bring you quick relief for that condition. Buckets and I can both attest Dr. Dressel is the best around, so if you think he can help you, call 716-768-5041 to book an appointment or visit DresselChiropractic.com to set up an appointment online. And tell him Buckets and Dan sent you. You're not going to get a discount or anything, but it's a nice conversation starter. Again, that's Dressel Chiropractic at 716-768-5041 or DresselChiropractic.com. We are looking forward to the first home playoff game since Buckets and I were four years old. And to help us learn a little bit more about the Bills' upcoming opponent, we welcome on Kevin Bowen, who covers the Colts for 1075 The Fan in Indianapolis. Kevin, we hope you and your family had a safe and happy New Year, and we really appreciate you hopping on Buckets and Dan this afternoon. Yeah, same to you guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Kevin, Buckets here. Both of these teams made huge moves, huge splash moves in the offseason, trading away their first-round pick. And the Bills, I could say confidently, wouldn't be a two-seed without Stephon Diggs. And I don't know if the Indianapolis Colts would be a playoff team without DeForest Buckner. He's been a force, 9.5 sacks, 13 tackles for a loss. My question for you is, as you've watched him closer than I have, does he have that takeover-the-game ability like we saw earlier this year with Aaron Donald and the Rams? You know... <laughs> I would agree with your sentiment and similar to you guys and, and Stefan Diggs that the Colts without DeForest Buckner would not be in the playoffs. Now, I, I don't know if I can put him in Aaron Donald's category just because Aaron Donald might be the best defensive player the NFL has seen in quite some time. Uh, but I will say this, there have been moments certainly this year where, where Buckner has looked like an all-pro defensive tackle, um, takeover game mentality. I, I mean, there's definitely been games where you know he's had multiple sacks and, and he's had, you know, several quarterback hits and and he can really make his presence felt um from that you know maybe from a forced fumble standpoint or just a pure tackle for loss number it might not be again at that just crazy crazy high level but this is one of the better defensive players in the nfl um he should have been a pro bowler it's an absolute crime and just we don't need to go into the farce that pro bowl voting is (laughs) but um yeah i mean buckner is an outstanding outstanding football player He's the best player on this team this season, and uh, he is somebody that Buffalo will certainly keep an eye on because he plays a ton of snaps, probably right up there with any defensive tackle in the NFL. Kevin, the Colts actually blitz the second-fewest percentage of their plays in the league, only 17%. However, 33 of their 40 sacks have come from the defensive line and 25 and a half just from their starting four in Buckner, Justin Houston, Danico Autry, and Grover Stewart. So is it the defensive coordinator's philosophy to rely on the front four for pressure, or does he just not need to blitz because the front four has been so effective? Oh, no, it's certainly philosophy more than anything. Um, you know, I would actually say that their pass rush has probably been the weakest part of their defense. Now, it's been a pretty good unit, outstanding against the run, uh, but I just don't think the consistent pressure has been there. They kind of feasted on Houston. Um, in the in the two games they played them, feasted again on Sunday. 
against Jacksonville. But um, there's been many games this year where quarterbacks have gotten, you know, into pretty comfortable rhythms without much of a rush. Now, again, I go back to the philosophical approach of it is a Tampa 2 scheme that is really uh, focused, I guess, on rushing four and dropping seven and primarily playing zone out of that coverage look. Their front four, as we talked about with Buckner, it's a really good interior rush group that Eco Autry slides inside on rushdowns. It's the edge rushing group that hasn't given them enough. Now, Komoko Ture came on last week. He's one of their sub-rushers. Really fast kid off the edge out of Rutgers. He had three quarterback hits in a sack and a half. Former second-round pick that they really want to get going. Um, suffered a pretty gruesome ankle injury last year. So he's only played in about you know, a month or two of, of games this season. Uh, but he's a speed guy. You know, Justin Houston, more of a power effort rusher at this point of his career. Turay's more of your fastball. So um, they have struggled with not, you know, maybe keeping quarterbacks confined in, in, in the pocket. And, you know, I don't need to remind you guys that that's certainly something your quarterback, um, you know, can do a great job of getting out of the pocket. Absolutely, and at the linebacker position, everybody knows about Darius Leonard at this point. Another another great season, 132 tackles in 14 games. Playing well as of late, 10 tackles in each of his last four games, and he, he's been a stud since his rookie year in 2018. If he's improved, you know, to this point in year three, at the end of year three, how so? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I, I would say... <laughs> it's hard to improve when you put up the Hall of Fame numbers he really put up his first two seasons. And I know that might sound like hyperbole to a lot of people. I mean, just look at the numbers. It's incredible what he had done from a playmaking standpoint his first two seasons in the NFL, whether it be sacks or interceptions or you know forced, forced fumbles. I mean, he's just always around the ball, seemingly. Um, so I, I would say that that is something that, um, he just kind of set a bar for him that it was almost unrealistic to achieve again here in year three. Um, he still achieved a nice level of playmaking. It hasn't been, again, at that absurd level his first two years. Uh, but, you know, I, I would say probably something that he feels like he needed to work on. He was just, you know, disengaging from blocks a little bit better, being a more consistent run defender on first and second down. Sometimes it's kind of splash plays or bust with him. Um, so if I'm going to nitpick, that's probably a slight area that he, you know, wants to or wanted to improve on coming into this season. But um, certainly you got to know where 53 is on the field. I assume there will be some times where he is spying on Josh Allen. That's something that the Colts used a lot against Deshaun Watson. And, uh, you know, when you know, he can close that gap, when, when, when quarterbacks run, his run and strike ability is uh, pretty special. Yeah, and I'd like to ask about the other linebackers who are certainly, you know, young and homegrown but not nearly as established. What can you tell us and our listeners about Anthony Walker? And I might mix up this pronunciation, uh, Bobby Okreke, uh, maybe their wings, or their weaknesses, strengths, and how they can cover. Yeah, you know, Walker is much more of a run-down defender, uh, likely to play on first and second downs, and especially in base defense. He's super intelligent linebacker, went to Northwestern. Uh, but, again, if you can get him in space, get him in coverage, that's probably where his weakness lies. Uh, Bobby Okariki is in his second year out of Stanford, and he's a guy that has very similar um, athletic makeup, physique, whatever you want to call it, to Darius Leonard, long, um, 
you know, very athletic from a run standpoint. Both guys have super long arms, which I know maybe is not the first thing you think of with linebackers, but I think it's a big part of punching balls out and, you know, just kind of being a plus uh, defender in space as well. So Okariki's a guy that they want to use on, on tight ends and, and, and things like that. So primarily um, it's Okariki and Leonard on the field on pass downs. Leonard won't come off the field at all. And then they, uh, you know, kind of move Kenny Moore, their, uh, their nickel, the outside corner around a little bit uh, based off uh, nickel or uh, base personnel. You know, I'd like to ask about their secondary. Xavier Rhodes has been a nice bounce back story. Kind of was thought to be beyond his prime in Minnesota. Um, so, you know, the opposite, opposite of him is Kenny Moore, who's had 12 pass breakups, leads the team with four picks. He's had a really good, you know, kind of story to, to watch too, being undrafted and, and has signed a nice contract extension in Indianapolis. You know, how do you guys see, how do you see their secondary matching up with a good slot receiver in Beasley and, and a guy, an all pro guy in Stefan Diggs? Yeah, I think that to me is the matchup of the game. You know, um, David Rhodes and Stephon Diggs, I assume, have some history on the Minnesota practice field. Um, I think that will be a, a storyline to watch. The Colts really primarily play zone. Don't I, Boy, I can't recall much shadowing they've done of an opposing wideout all year long. Um, now, in my opinion, is that a wrinkle that you all of a sudden use on Sunday or on Saturday with how well Diggs has played for the Bills? Um, you know, like I said, Kenny Moore – is a five nine corner that um, just it's just hard to pick on him. He, he's he, he's just so instinctual as a player. Um, is able to do a great job of playing in, in the slot and, and sound tackler in the open field. I would say one of the other weaknesses for the Colts defense is that second corner spot. So yes, Kenny Moore. You know, they, ideally they would play him in that nickel slot role. The other kind of outside corner. Is either TJ Carey, number 38, or Rocky Yassine, number 26. Yassine didn't play against Jacksonville because of a concussion. Um, you know, he's been really up and down in the second season. Teams have picked on him. Officials have picked on him. And so TJ Carey's kind of a veteran that they brought over from Cleveland. Uh, that has done a nice job. But, uh, again, that is probably an area that I think Josh Allen and the Bills will want to exploit a little bit. At safety, they've got two young safeties, Kari Wills and Julian Blackman. Blackman's been a great rookie surprise coming off an ACL. Kari Wills didn't play against the um, Jags also with the concussion. His availability Saturday is just vital. Uh, he is a huge presence and doing a lot of disguising pre-snap. Again, a very solid sound guy, um, especially between the years. And so I think that'll be a big, probably the biggest injury that the Colts have kind of up in the air this week. Um, that, that That's a bit questionable. But like I was saying earlier, Colts will play a ton of zone. Um, at, at times, I don't think that coverage unit has been as you know, solid as it needs to be. They will. They seem pretty content, um, especially in years past, to kind of give up dink and dunk throws. They don't want to get beat over the top. Um, so we'll see how the big arm of Josh Allen kind of deals with that. Yeah, and I certainly – I almost forgot about Malik Hooker, who has been out almost the whole entire year. And you said the big arm of Josh Allen, and that's been the biggest difference really from year two to year three. He's been able to connect on, on those passes where he really struggled in his sophomore season – so my question for you is, how do those safeties do? How does the Colts' defense in general, you know, cover the long ball? How do they do against the long ball? Yeah, I mean, I would say their biggest core belief defensively is probably not allowing big plays. Now, they've been a little bit poor in that area here as of late. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh got back in that game with a couple chunks. Deshaun Watson, of course, um, is such a magician. He was able to hit a couple big plays over the top of them as well. Um, so, you know, that's something that, again, 
in an ideal world, they would pride themselves on not giving up that um, and, and primarily playing a lot of zone looks. But it hasn't been, I would say, as successful as maybe Matt Eberflus, their defensive coordinator, would, would like. Um, overall, again, a very stout run defense up front. Um, they've been tremendous all year long, and that's been kind of a core for them really throughout the Eberflus era, which is three years as defensive coordinator. But I would say rush and cover. Uh, that is what worries Colts fans, and that's what worries them about this matchup. You know, I think when they played Pittsburgh a few weeks ago, it was defending all of those targets um, because they're such a balanced wideout group. You know, I kind of look at Buffalo in a similar way. Now, Diggs is better than anybody Pittsburgh has, but I, I think there's some depth to the Bills' wideout group. And so I feel like if, if they can find some matchups that they like, um, that could be something to where um, they can kind of expose this, uh, this zone look. Kevin, I know, like, I'll be honest with you, I didn't catch too many Colts games this year. I saw the ones on primetime. They actually looked pretty good. I remember specifically the ones against Green Bay and the ones um, at Tennessee, I believe. So earlier in the year, it seemed as though, if you look at just stats-wise and their play, that it was, there was only two good defenses in the league because of the offensive explosion by most of the teams, and it was the Colts and the Steelers. Now you look at the stats, and they're basically middle of the road at everything. Do you think that's just stats, you know, falling back toward – the mean like a regression or was there a regression to the actual defense and if so what was it you know i i think a little bit of both if you look at their schedule certainly front load um i should say back loaded from a quarterback standpoint you know rogers Tannehill, watson twice even Derek carr i know big ben's been up and down but you know you you did face him in the back half as well um and, and it should be noted the colts play the easiest schedule in the nfl um they've lost the all, all four playoff teams um, that they've played, you know, they, they split with Tennessee, but, but lost to Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and uh, uh, who's the, whoever the other player, Cleveland, uh, and then haven't played Buffalo or, or Kansas City. Um, so I, I think what has been great about the defense this year is they have been a timely playmaking team. If you look at their kind of goal-to-go defense at times, even red zone defense, or just critical points of the game, you know, it was a huge interception. Uh, you know, late in a, in a game to clinch uh, a win over Cleveland. Kenny Moore picks off the ball in the end zone against the Raiders a few weeks back. You know, the, the, the Houston finishes were just wild. Um, two fumbles on the goal line when the Texans looked like they were going to go in and score from the two-yard line. And both matchups, ironically enough, Hollywood probably would have laughed at that script. Um, one forced by Leonard. The other one is just a freakish yep. snap um, air. And then uh, they, they also forced a fumble in overtime against uh, Green Bay to win that game. So um, I would say that is something that has been there, you know, throughout a large chunk of the season. But lately the past defense has struggled. I think it's just been a general re regression to the mean in that, yes, you face better quarterbacks, but also your defense couldn't put up what they were doing earlier in the year against some of those other teams on your schedule. And I just think, you know, in a – sum up what where this defense ranks in tiers good uh improved I, I i can't call it elite and when they face very good offenses they've kind of been exposed i actually have a before i get to my final question about the actual game i, I would love to know obviously he's a fan favorite here in buffalo but can you talk about the culture that frank reich has created in indianapolis and how he's respected amongst the uh, fans and players well, yeah, I mean, you guys don't need to tell me just how great of a human being yeah. Frank Reich is. I mean, wow. Um, 
you know, I'm just kind of in awe at some of his actions behind the scenes of the, that I see or, you know, get to hear about on a daily basis. And I know how much the town or really just Western New York in general means to him. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's impressive to just to see how much, you know, playing there meant to him. And, you know, I know full well he was, you know, involved in some head coaching searches um, potentially to be hired. Um, I think both in 2015 and 2017, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, he's been a tremendous offensive innovator for the Colts that was needed after the Chuck Pagano era. He's instilled a culture that is um, him and Chris Bauer, the general manager, they preach high character. And I know that sounds so cliche, but man, um, they do have some really high character individuals, some self-motivators, which I think in a year like this is a big reason why the Colts did go 11 and five. Uh, in, in a year that you maybe aren't playing for uh, maybe the same sort of incentives that you see in, inside of a stadium uh, week in and week out. So I'd say that's a big element for the, for the culture here. Again, he lets Matt Eberflus do his thing on defense, lets Bubba Ventrone do his thing on special teams. He's the play caller and uh, yeah, you know, manages this, this operation as, as the head coach, but I think he really um, delegates roles within that staff. Um, super aggressive, <laughs> you know, that is one thing. Uh, and, and their kicking situation, they haven't made a lot of long field goals this year, haven't attempted many long field goals this year. Um, when fourth down comes around, look for Jacoby Brissett to come on the field. He's kind of their short yardage guy there. Uh, great QB sneaker for what it's worth. But uh, Reich is very, very aggressive on game days. And Kevin, we'll wrap it up with a final question here. You mentioned a few things that are problematic for the Colts game plan coming in, and you also mentioned something I was going to say that Josh Allen's very effective rolling out, especially to his right, and you said the Colts defense sometimes has struggle containing that. So a uh, two-part question here. What to you is the, the matchup we need to watch for in terms of the Bill, excuse me, yeah, the Bills offense versus the Colts defense, and then maybe a couple of predictions you have if you want to do a score, great, but I know a lot of people don't like doing that, so maybe one prediction about the game overall. Well, I, I would say just in general what the Bill, I know this isn't Bills offense, Colts defense, but just, I mean, how they stop Johnson Taylor. Yeah. I mean, outside of Derrick Henry right now, there's no hotter, arguably, player in the NFL, certainly running back than Taylor. Yep. But I would say Bills offense versus Colts defense, to me it's how the Colts handle digs, and they're just level of containment on Josh Allen. Like I said, they've struggled with Mayfield and Watson, and at times even Darnold making some plays outside of the park, pocket, as wild as that might sound. Um, that was an issue earlier in, in the season as well. So I think those are kind of my big questions defensively. And can the playmaking continue to show up? You know, it, it has been pretty consistent, but it is kind of you live and die with that to a degree. You know, as far as a prediction, kind of early in my in my week of looking into it, you know, I kind of think like 31-24 Bills. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's just too high-powered of an offense to slow down as much as you need to. I think the Colts can move it with, with Taylor. They gotta, they're they going to have to play keep away mm-hmm. to a degree, but I just think the Bills are a little bit too explosive. And I think getting the taste of being in Houston last year, you know, again, I don't need to remind – any of your fan base, I'm sure, Please how don't. crushing of a loss that, that that was. But just taste that experience. Get in that and feel it. And I think that won't have the Bills overlooking the Colts on uh, on Saturday. Actually, I'm sorry, Kevin. I have one more. Can can you tell Buckets and I, give us a, a feel of what the fan base – so 
when in from what you've heard, when the fans found out that they're going to be going to Buffalo, is nationally, it's just still still so weird that I, it's so weird hearing so you say weird. explosive. Yeah, and <laughs> like like what if do fans real like think that the Bills are are legit? Do they think that they're kind of a flash in the pan? Has has the the Indianapolis crowd at least come to see Josh Allen as a fluke or as legit? What what are the senses of if talking to fans and talking to other media that you feel about this Bills team? Well, I, I would say me personally, I'm extremely high on the Bills. So I, I've kind of always been, you know, when fans ask me throughout the year, you know, what would be the best playoff matchup from the Colts? And I'm like, well, obviously you don't see Kansas City. And I don't think you want to see Buffalo. It, it, I, I just feel like, again, there is an emerging star at quarterback, and I love what Brian Dable has done there offensively. I think the fan base respects that as well. Okay. Um, you know, maybe a, and not, not to – I don't know. It's not just some like rivalry sense or anything like that, but I do think there is a level of respect and they know this is not going to be any sort of a easy, you know, whatever. And they see kind of a seven point underdog and some of them are like, Oh wow. I thought it might be nine and 10. The Colts have been four and one in their last five, but they've been a bit inconsistent over the course of 60 minutes. So um, they fully expect unless Jonathan Taylor can really, really get going. This is going to be, I think, a tough challenge for the Colts. All right, Kevin, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, good luck Saturday, and maybe moving forward in the next couple of years, if we ever play the Colts again, we can have another conversation. I'd love it, guys. Thanks for having me, and uh, enjoy the week, and uh, can't wait for Saturday. Wings on us next time you're in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to tell me twice. Thank you. Alrighty then. This interview is brought to you by Arista Networks. Arista Networks is an industry leader in campus, Wi-Fi, data center, and cloud computing. Learn more about Arista at arista.com. Here we go! We were able to dive into the Colts' defense. Now it's time to switch gears and discuss the offensive side of the ball. To do that, we welcome on Andrew Walker from Colts.com. Andrew, we really appreciate you joining Buckets and Dan this afternoon. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, Andrew, when I was going through potential opponents for the Bills, I'll be honest, I had some arguments back and forth with friends. They were saying we should avoid the Colts due to their strong running game. I was saying that I preferred the Colts because I don't think Phillip Rivers can keep up in a shootout. And then I saw that he threw for over 4,000 yards. So what did you think of Rivers' play overall this year and specifically down the stretch? Yeah, really when the Colts kind of evaluated their, their quarterback play or their passing game from last season with Jacoby Brissett, they were they were willing to move forward with Brissett again but wanted to kind of explore the quarterback market um, this offseason to kind of see what was out there. And it was just kind of a perfect storm with Phillip Rivers in that he was available, first of all. And secondly, he had a background with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, the offensive coordinator, who Frank Reich was his offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni, his quarterback's coach with the Chargers for a few years uh, a few years back. So, you know, Rivers knows the system. He's excelled in the system under Reich. So it was kind of a perfect storm to bring him in. And, you know, I don't think they were looking for a world beater at quarterback necessarily. They just wanted someone to come in and improve the overall unit and do a little bit better with, I guess, the chunk plays through the air um, to make the ground game a little bit more meaningful. And, you know, that's really what they've accomplished with Phil Rivers. Is is he a guy that's going to be an MVP candidate at this point of his career? Um, no, he, you know, that's, that's not really what you're, you're looking for, but he's a guy that's going to, ha- that averages a, a, a big yards per attempt figure. He completes a big percentage of his passes. He's accurate. Um, he was able to limit the mistakes this season, um, which hurt him a lot last season 
with the Chargers who were behind a lot, and he was trying to be the hero, and it just didn't work out. Well, he's been able to limit the, the mistakes for the most part. Um, so the, the big chunk plays have been there um, in the passing game. And then the way this running game has been going, which I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll get to um, here lately, that really helps things too. So I think Phil Rivers has done a really good job, and, and if, if it comes down to it and he wants to come back for a second season in Indianapolis next year, I don't think both sides would hesitate to do that. His relationship with T.Y. Hilton really grew down the stretch as Hilton caught five touchdowns in his final six games after not hauling in any in his first nine. So what clicked, or was it just a matter of building chemistry with the new quarterback? Yeah, it's really weird because if if you looked in the first like half of the season with T.Y. Hilton, you know, you could look at the numbers and say, man, what's happened to this guy? You know, 31 years old, he's really tailed off. Well, he was still getting the same general number of targets thrown his way as, as he would any other season, but the, the, the yards and the touchdowns and the big plays just weren't there. However, he was drawing a ton of penalties on deep plays down the field, so he's getting a lot of attention from opposing defenses. So, you know, to me, I didn't see any physical defects. I didn't see anything wrong with T.Y. I don't necessarily think the chemistry wasn't there. But I think now over the second half of the season, particularly the last six or seven games, Philip Rivers just kind of letting it rip. And, and I think he has total trust in T.Y. now um, that, that you know, he's going to get the job done. And um, T.Y.'s really, really rose to the occasion. Um, now the Colts, I think they were missing that number one receiver type guy the first half or so of the season. Now they have it again with T.Y. Now they have the number one back with Jonathan Taylor. So I think this offense, although – it still struggles a bit sometimes to keep to keep it going consistently throughout a game. I think the pieces are in play to at least be a dangerous team in the playoffs. Um, you know, if not, you know, I know the Bills defense is really good, really opportunistic, mm-hmm. but at least give some the Bills defense um, something to respect heading into Saturday's game. Yeah, Andrew, the the Bills have a Pro Bowl All Pro corner and Trey White, who we've as fans have grown accustomed to him controlling the other team's top top receiver. However, early in the year, they really struggled against slot wide receivers, and really all year they haven't been great opposite of Trey White with Levi Wallace or Josh Norman or whoever's out there. So tell us a little bit about the secondary options. How has Michael Pittman been as a rookie and maybe some guys that we might not be too familiar with that we should know headed into Saturday? Yeah, so Michael Pittman, the second-round pick out of USC, 34th overall. Um, really, he's been a really nice addition so far. And you see kind of the what what the Colts were envisioning with him. There's still some elements of his game. You know, he's a big guy. You know, probably six three, six four, two twenty ish. And and his dad, of course, Michael Pittman Sr., the longtime NFL running back. He's got that bruiser type ability. His dad showed as a running back, kind of as a wide receiver. He runs with a lot of power, a lot of strength when the ball gets in his hands. But the one element I'm waiting to see from him and. You know, I don't know if maybe it'll be unleashed now in the playoffs, a different wrinkle or, or what have you, or maybe they'll wait till this next season to, to get it going, is kind of the downfield, 50-50 balls, red zone threat type guy that you saw at USC. For, right now, Michael Pittman's been really, really good at the possession stuff across the middle, the slants, the tough catches, and you saw all that on film at USC. You know, rarely dropped a pass. Um, and is really tough guy. So I, I can't wait to see him develop this game. I guess the one receiver I would keep an eye on if I was a Bills fan that, that maybe you haven't heard of is Zach Paschal. He's just your do-it-all type guy, a great blocker. 
um, which, you know, obviously is overlooked with receivers, but he's really good blocker in the run game. Um, and he's also a guy that he'll go out and on, on any given Sunday, he could give you um, 75 yards and a couple touchdowns and surprise an opposing defense. So um, he's a guy that he's going to be in the 600 yard, five to six, seven touchdowns a year type guy. So really productive guy is Zach Pascal at the number three receiver. So beyond that, there's some guys that can make plays um, for you, but those are, when you're talking Hilton, Pittman, and Pascal, those are really your top three targets as wide receivers for this offense. Tight ends feasted on the Bills earlier in the year, and the Colts have three guys who can really do the job, and Jack Doyle, Trey Burton, and Mo Alley-Cox, the former VCU basketball star, how are they using all three right now, and who should Bills fans be most concerned about on Saturday? Yeah, so I do like a I do like a weekly fantasy preview, just you know, trying to help people fill out their lineup, you know, and, and say this Colts guy might have a good game or that that guy might have a good game. Every time I got to the tight end position, I I think pretty much every week I'd say, I'm real sorry, I can't tell you which one of these three guys to pick because all three weeks it could be one of these guys. I can't tell you which one, but one of them could have a really good game today. So they're all their their skill sets all pretty much mirror each other very well. Trey Burton is more of a wide receiver, I would say, but he's still a pretty good blocker. Jack Doyle's kind of your do it all as as you know the the doing the dirty work as a blocker, but he's also a really good um, possession receiver and a two time Pro Bowler. Um, has a lot of respect in this league. And then Mo Ali Cox is a wild card. He's the freak athlete. You know, he's got the biggest hands in the NFL, um, the basketball background, as you, as you alluded to. And earlier in the season, when, when Burton was out, when Doyle was in and out of the lineup with injuries, Mo Ali Cox had two really, really good uh, performances. And we're, we're talking, you know, 100-plus yards. We're talking grabbing touchdowns. So, you know, if, if you leave a guy like that unguarded and just want to focus on Burton or Doyle or you want to focus on Taylor in the backfield or, or Hines or Hilton, Molly Cox can do some damage too. So the Colts, you know, this is a very tight end friendly offense. Frank Reich has developed here in Indy and and the Colts have three guys that they trust very much that maybe they won't blow up the stat sheet, but over the course of a game, they can make two or three plays that can really hurt you. When I think of the Colts, the first thing that comes to mind is Quentin Nelson, just an absolute monster up front. And really, they have come, they had coming into the season one of the best offensive lines in football. But looking at their depth chart, a couple guys on IR, a couple more banged up. So what's the overall health status of the offensive line coming into the game? Man, if you'd asked me that two weeks ago, you know, they're smooth sailing. Yeah. Um, you know, even though Anthony Costanzo was, was dealing with a knee injury at the time, he was fighting his way through it, and you had all five of your starters from probably a top three or four offensive line in, in general, you know, for, for, the, for the rest of the season. But Costanzo suffered an ankle injury in practice a couple weeks ago. He just couldn't give it a go, and then they figured out he needed surgery. So he's on IR. You know, really an, an unheralded guy in his 11th season, Anthony Costanzo, never made a Pro Bowl, but he's always been right on that line. And the last couple years particularly – He's really been close to being a top five or six type left tackle. So that, that's been a big blow. And, and they've had kind of a carousel of guys going in there. And LaRaven Clark was in there. And then he hurt his Achilles. He's out for the year. Um, they, they tried, you know, uh, Jared Veld here, um, uh, you know, a longtime veteran who had two days of practice and then played here against Jacksonville in week 17, had some early struggles and then really, really turned it around. So, I think they're good to go at left tackle with Veld here if they need to, but really the strength of this this Colts offensive line is in the middle. You've got Quentin Nelson at left guard, 
Ryan Kelly, now the two-time Pro Bowler at center, and Mark Lewinsky at right guard. And Brave Smith uh, really deserves attention as maybe one of the top right tackles in football, but he's young, so maybe he has to do it a couple more years. But he's really, really stepped his game up too, and, and a guy that was a guard at, at Auburn that's really stepped it up at, at right tackle. So the Colts, you know, losing Costanzo is huge, and 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 past years or past you know sections of seasons when Costanzo's missed a game or two, that's been devastating. But they've been able to battle through it, and I think they they have kind of with Veld here with the with the veteran now. Um, now we'll have another week under his belt. I think they'll be in okay shape. But th- really, if you're talking pass protection, if you're talking run blocking, this group um, has really been one of the best in football the last three years. And it's been because of, you know, it starts with Nelson at left guard, who's on an unbelievable track in his career. Um, but really, Kelly deserves his due at center. Um, Braden Smith, Mark Lewinsky, and, and now that Costanza's out, got figured out at left tackle. But for the most part, they've been able to get the job done. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to the matchup. Hopefully the Bills are able to avoid it by moving Ed Oliver around, but Ed Oliver versus Quentin Nelson is something I'll be watching for. And we mentioned the running game earlier, Andrew. Jonathan Taylor finally entrenched himself as a starter down the stretch after splitting carries earlier in the year and killing my fantasy team. He's now averaged over 130 yards rushing the last five games. He had a 253-yard performance this past weekend versus Jacksonville. How impressive has he been as a rookie, and how does he set up other parts of their offense? Well, I think, you know, when you draft – Jonathan Taylor in the second round this year. I think that surprised a lot of people because the Colts had Marlon Mack, who's a thousand yard rusher last year coming back this year. And it was like, how's that going to work? And they built it as this kind of one and one a type thing, a two headed attack at running back. And, and then, you know, two quarters into the season, Marlon Mack ruptures his Achilles and he's out for the year. And all of a sudden now it's on Jonathan Taylor. And, and you have Naeem Hines, who's a really good player in his role as kind of the the you know the pass catcher and and the speed guy, third down guy, and then Jordan Wilkins, who's who's a good kind of traditional back, but all of a sudden you know now you know it's Taylor's job at, as the starter, and it's not that he struggled necessarily. It's not like he was horrible and and you know each game was like what are we doing here, but there was just two or three times a game where where you kind of scratch your head like, well the the hole's here, why didn't he hit it there or you know things like that. So over the course of time, you know, Hines got the hot hand sometimes. Wilkins was hot sometimes, and they would go with those guys. But starting week 12 against the Packers, Jonathan Taylor, I mean, something's clicked, and, and he's really starting to turn into the guy that the Colts knew they were getting in the second round out of Wisconsin, where in three years the guy ran for 6,000 yards um, and, you know, finished, you know, you know, top, you know, whatever he was in NCAA history in rushing yards. So he's really starting to show that now. I think it just came with a little bit more patience, a little bit more experience in reading the offensive line, reading the blocks, setting things up, and then going from there. He's making guys miss, too, um, which has been huge. I mean, the 45-yard touchdown to, to kind of ice the game against the Jaguars on, on Sunday was, was evident of that, where you know the, the blocking was there, but really him making a guy miss and, and turn on the Jets was what made it happen. And I do want to say, you know, it's the Jaguars. They're struggling. Um, but but he has done it pretty much consistently since week 12. He's number two in the NFL and rushing since then to a guy named, to, you know, Derrick Henry's number one. And we all know how he's just tore it up and now he's at 2,000 yards. So if you're number two to that guy, you're doing a good job. And Jonathan Taylor's really been impressive and, and a guy I think 
you know, for, for years down the road now has really set himself up well to have a really nice career with the Colts. Yeah, you mentioned it all. He's certainly come a long way. And, and I remember earlier on in the season when you kind of mentioned the other guys were involved in that rotation and he fumbled early on in the game. It might have been a Thursday night or a Monday night game, and he really didn't see the field the rest of the game. So I guess kind of a question that just came up in my head. Do you think that the Colts brass and, and coaching staff kind of obviously knew his talent, drafting him in the second round, but do you think they're surprised or they kind of kind of could have saw this coming just because of his talent and, you know, he's really he's really exploded here late in the season? Well, I'll say, you know, when Mac got hurt, there was no hesitation. Taylor was the guy. And the, the fumble you're talking about was against the Ravens. And it was a lost fumble. You know, the Colts had all the momentum in the world. They're beating the Ravens in the first half really soundly. And the Colts have had, you know, really good performances against a few really good teams. Um, but, you know, you know, Taylor fumbles. It's returned for a touchdown. And then from there, the Ravens kind of took control. That's the only time he's fumbled all season, so it's kind of unfortunate that that's the one blemish on his on his kind of his stat sheet. Um, but the Colts never really hesitated once Mac went down. Taylor was always the guy, but but you know once you know there's those couple games I referred to where he wasn't really as consistent, maybe hitting the holes as they wanted to or letting things develop. Um, you know they they would go with Naeem Hines or they would go with Jordan Wilkins, and when those guys started to do well in the game, it was kind of hard to give the ball back to Taylor in that instance. So, you know, I think, I think with the Colts and with Taylor, it's been a mindset, you know, like I said, since week 12 or so, I'm not going to let them even have the choice. I'm going to take over here. I'm going to be assertive. I'm going to be the guy that takes, you know, most of the carries. And Naeem Hines still has his role. You know, he's a guy that's, that's going to catch a lot of passes. He's a guy that's going to get, you know, six or seven carries a game, but Taylor's really taken over and been the guy. And I think that's what the Colts expected from the start, but, you know, it's, it's been a really nice surprise to see how well he's taken to it here the last few weeks. Andrew, as Bills fans that lived through the drought and weren't around for the glory days, we know better than to put the cart before the horse. So knowing that, we do see that the Bills are a touchdown favorite and their offense is putting up record-setting numbers, and it's, it's very weird right now as a Bills fan. So if when the with the Colts coming in, I, for one, would say that I, I expect the Bills to win, but for the Colts, it, does it simply come down to establishing the run and playing keep away from Josh Allen? Or do you think there's something else they can do, maybe like a little wrinkle like you mentioned earlier, or something to keep the Bills guessing? Well, I kind of go to the, the game against the, the Packers where the Colts were able to keep up with Aaron Rodgers, um, and that's what's going to take. I mean, obviously Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and, and that, that offense, I mean, it's, it's nearly impossible, especially when they've been playing of late you know, the six-game winning streak and all that, probably the best team in football over the last, what, month, month and a half of the season, it's going to be tough to keep up with. Um, one thing I will say, and, and maybe this sounds generic, or maybe you can say this about every defense in the NFL, but it's especially true of the Colts. If their pass rush is, is humming, if, if they're going after the quarterback consistently um, and they're applying that pressure and then it, it, it affects the back end, you know, the rush and the cover, which is so big with this Colts, you know, 4-3 system, the Tampa 2. Um, they'll throw a lot of man at you, but mostly they're his own defense. If you can get Josh Allen kind of, you know, moving around back there, which he's good when he moves around, but at least contain him to the pocket, get some pressure, um, this Colts defense is really, really good and really good, really opportunistic. 
you know, they, they have a lot of takeaways. They have a lot of big plays, but it, a lot of that's predicated on the, on the rush up front. So if, if the force Buckner in the interior is going in, you know, big Pro Bowl snub, nine and a half sacks, to me, probably the second or third best, and I know I'm biased, but second or third best yep. interior defensive lineman in, in the NFL, DeForest Buckner, um, if he's going, if Justin Houston has the juice and he's going off the edge and, and you know, uh, Grover Stewart, a name that Bills fans probably don't know, but one of the best run-stuffing defensive linemen in the NFL, if those guys are going um, and, and they're getting after the quarterback, then this defense is really, really, really good. And that's when Darius Leonard makes his splash plays. That's when Kenny Moore is coming on blitzes and intercepting passes. Um, Julian Blackman, the rookie safety, that's when he's making plays. So you get the pass rush going, and, and, if the, and I know the Bills offensive line has been pretty good, but you get the pass rush going, then, then anything's possible in my mind. Andrew, a couple of last questions here. If, if, if we're looking at the Bills' defense, what are the Colts' offensive, offensive weaknesses that we can exploit? Well, like I said, sometimes the Colts are one of the best in football at the start of games. They, you know, their first drive is pretty much an automatic touchdown. <laughs> pretty much the whole season it's been a touchdown. So Frank Reich, you know, A-plus in terms of scripting, you know, the first 10 or 15 plays. From that point on, though, it's been a wild card. You don't know what to expect. And, you know, you get up, you know, 24-7 against the Steelers, and then all of a sudden your offense can't do anything, can't connect on anything. Doesn't matter what you're doing, if it's the run game, the pass game, just can't get anything going. And then, the, you know, the defense starts having its lulls and allowing, you know, sometimes with the zone defense, the middle of the field's kind of open and quarterbacks like to pick at that. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, the Steelers come back. And then even the Jaguars, when you're up, um, you know, 20 nothing on the Jaguars, even they um, got it to 2014 for most of that second half. And, and you're kind of sweating it out there until Taylor puts the game away with the big run. So offensively, you know, you, you just got to keep – keep your foot on the pedal and figure out ways to convert on third down. If you're not doing that, um, and, and again, that's kind of a generic thing. Every team wants to convert on third down, but it's really important for this Colts team. You know, if you can, if you can stay, you know, first and second down, be successful and then convert on third down and move those chains and have longer drives and maybe keep, you know, Josh Allen on the sidelines, you'll really be doing yourself a favor, but it's, it's easier said than done. And, and, you know, if the Colts can have a strong start, and keep it going, then then that will be good for them. But you know the pattern the last few weeks has been strong start, kind of slow it down, and then at the end kind of a rush to kind of catch things up. And the, you can't do that against a Bills team that's going to score a bunch of points. All right, Andrew. Last question. We're going to put you on the spot a little bit for some predictions. If you don't feel comfortable giving a score prediction, that's fine. Maybe some <laughs> things that you're confident are going to happen, or maybe an out of the box prediction. Well, uh, you know, I. I I appreciate you giving me the chance to back out. I won't do that. I will give the caveat of I enjoy my paycheck. So I'm going to go with the Colts in this one because of that. Fair but enough. I'm going to go, you know, high-scoring high game, 35-31 Colts, um, you know, pulling off the, the major upset here. Um, I will say, like I said, I, I think the Colts showed something. Again, it's the Jaguars. I'll give that caveat. But I think the Colts showed something with their pass rush. Um, got things going with Kamoko Ture, number 57, kind of a wild card. He'd been hurt um, for, for a long time, and is, now he's coming along. If, if guys like that are going like he was against the Jaguars, Justin Houston's going, DeForest Buckner, if you can get that front going against Josh Allen, 
I've got a lot of confidence in this defense to make some big plays. If they can make one or two splash plays, and if the offense can just keep up a little bit, then I think the Colts have a shot. So I'm going to go 35-31 Colts just because I like my paycheck um, and, and, uh, and all that. But I do appreciate you give me the chance to back out if I needed to. Yeah, that's fair. We actually respect you. De- definitely respect you more for actually giving a score. And, and you're not going to find many weekends where Western New York roots against Frank Reich, but this is certainly one of them. But we appreciate your time, and good luck this weekend. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for the time. Wings on us next time you're in Buffalo. I appreciate it, and I'll, I'll definitely take you up on that. Alrighty then. Dan, let's preview this playoff matchup against the Colts. We get the 1 p.m. Saturday slot. I don't know why Bills fans are bugging out that we're not getting respect or whatever. Everyone relax. I think we're fine. Dan, you okay with the 1 p.m. slot on a Saturday? I Yeah, as a guy not going to the game, I am yeah, for I don't sure. Care. I don't care, Dan. But, but, you know, you've been doing a really good job. i got to give you props here. Every single regular season game, you've, you've brought some really cool tidbits and some cool history about the opponent. I don't remember ever playing the Colts in the playoffs. Dan, do we know that? We have not. No, we have never played them in the playoffs. We do have a 37-32-1 all-time record. Remember, these teams shared a division for years before the Texans came into the NFL, and then they moved to the NFL South. The Bills lost six straight games from 2000-2006, but have won three of the last five. Bill, let's break down those five games. They're all pretty much games you'd remember except one. I can't wait to ask you about that one. Let's go all the way back to 2010. All right, our senior year of high school. Last game of the year, Bills are 5-10, and 10, Colts are 14-1. and one. The one thing I remember about this, I believe it was snowing out, it was crappy weather, and I knew they throw they threw Manning out there to break some record. To, I think it was all-time completions, like in terms of, I think they broke Harrison and Manning's record. I believe this was Reggie Wayne and Manning hooking up, or Reggie Wayne was breaking his own record. I don't know, but I know that they marched down the field, scored their first uh, got their records, and then they got out. Bills end up winning that game 30-7 to after they put in all the backups. Yep, big Bills win. I hit the exits at the half. That's that's That could pretty much be summed up every game I've gone to for a Bills game. <laughs> in 2012, Mr. Buckets, Bills lose 20-13. to I know nothing about this game except the fact that Lee Smith scored a touchdown from Ryan Fitzpatrick with three minutes left to bring them just a little bit closer, I guess. T.Y. Hilton had a punt return and a receiving touchdown that game. So that was pretty meaningless. The next game, 27-14 win. The season opener in 2015. Woo! Remember Tyrod's greatest pass That was a great game. That was a loud stadium. Loud stadium. He has the bomb to Harvin. They, they're they buzzing with – that's Rex Ryan's first game, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, well, that ended up well. Then, 2017 – the snow game. Another classic that another, we were at. Yeah, another classic we were at. Uh, Bills win 13-7 in overtime. LaShawn McCoy, of course, scampers in for the winning score. Vinatieri kicks a long field goal to tie it, and then Joe Webb throws an interception. The Colts get the ball back. They miss a chip shot at the end of regulation to win it. Of course, the Bills win it in overtime, and they roll on into the playoffs that year. Then there's a game in October of 2018 that I don't remember at all, but it is super funny to look at these stats. Who was the leading rusher for the Bills in that game, Bill? Um, I'm going to go with the old um, New Orleans Saints running back, Cadet. No, no, for the bit. Oh, no, no. Cadet. No, Chris Ivory. Chris Ivory. Chris Ivory, 16 attempts, 81 yards. Who was the leading receiver? Out of the backfield, Marcus Murphy. Derek Anderson goes 20 for 31 for 175 yards. Bills 
get smacked. 37 to 5. They were down. It was actually a good game. 0-0 after one. They got outscored 24-0 in the second quarter. End up losing 37-5. That was a tough year. But moving on to this week, Bill. Well, let me on. say one other good memory I have. One of my first Bills games that we've talked about it at length in the history of this show. Wasn't there a week 17 game where Rob Johnson started and crushed it and then started the next game against Tennessee? That's a, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, that, that was 99. That game uh, rings a little bell to some yeah. of us, especially this podcast. My God, we bring it up every week. <laughs> we could do a darn research project on it, <laughs> a study. <laughs> All right, so, Bill, if we look at this week, we just heard, we just heard from our good friends Kevin Bowen and Andrew Walker, so we broke down the game there. How about your keys to the game, Mr. Buckets? What is your first key? I'll keep it simple and concise. You know, I don't think Phillip Rivers can beat us. He's a savvy vet. He's going to make some plays. He's going to make some plays based on his experience. But number one key for me is you got to be able to settle down and control Jonathan Taylor in the run game. Uh, don't let them establish time of possession. They're going to try and play that keep-away style game. If they can establish a run, I think we can be in trouble. But if we can stop the run to an extent, I think we're going to be okay. So stop the run. Yeah, and I, I think another thing that goes right along with it, I'm not going to make it a key, I'm just going to add to it, is stop the run on early downs. Force Phillip Rivers to throw on third down because w- w- like they said, like our good buddies from Indianapolis said, they want to play keep away from Josh Allen. That's how you try to control and neutralize a great offense. I think that stopping the run on early downs, don't let Taylor get rolling. I think that's a great key. Bill, this will be the first time that these Bills play in front of Bills Mafia. What I need the players to do is feed off it. Don't let it distract you. I think there was a great quote on Good Morning Football this morning that said it was uh, Peter Schrager. Schrager? 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 Schrager. Schrager said it's the first time that these fans are going to see Stephon Diggs and it's Stephon Diggs' first time seeing Bills Mafia. So I need everybody to just play their game. People talked about one reason Josh Allen took a big step is that he's such an emotional guy. He has to listen to Justin Bieber and Elvis before games to calm himself down, and I don't want him to get too pumped up. I don't think 6,700 fans are going to blow the roof off the top, but I do think they're going to be buzzing in there, and the fans are, excuse me, the players are going to feel the energy from the from the crowd, but I need them to control that emotion. I think McDermott does a nice job always keeping the players in check. I don't really see that as an issue, but that will be something to watch. Do you have another key? Not really. Okay. All right. Well, we got two keys. Let's talk about a bold take. I think the Bills come out buzzing. I think they're up two touchdowns after one quarter, which is important because if you look at the Colts' trends this year, they get out to hot starts, then they kind of crumble. So if you can get out to a hot start on them, they might – you might bury him early. It it forces the ball into Philip Rivers' hands, who loves, as we know, just throwing ducks. I think the cold weather is not great for his ball, like as opposed to Josh Allen, who can rifle it right through that cold, uh, heavy air. So I cold thin air, excuse me. So I I do think that the Bills will be up two touchdowns after one quarter. The thing I'm looking at in this game is the Colts have two elite players, two players, potential All Pro guys. One guy's a potential he was a he was a Pro Bowl snub, and that's DeForest Buckner. I'm very interested to see where he's at from a health perspective. He missed practice again on this Wednesday. Totally missed practice. Will he be completely healthy with that ankle? If he is, he's an absolute force. He's an elite level interior pressure guy. And then Darius Leonard. If you're able to if the offensive line can hold up, if the interior can hold up against a guy like DeForest Buckner, I think we're gonna be absolutely fine. They're, they do not have a cornerback who can keep up with Stephon Diggs. I really like him to have a game on Saturday. 
I'm looking forward to just watching Quentin Nelson, seeing what all the hype is. He's third in the NFL, a little over 95% win rate on pass blocking. He's just an absolute – like he's – we're watching a Hall of Famer. So I, I really do want to see if a guard can make that much of a difference. I really, like I said in that interview, I forget which one I said it with, but I'm looking forward to see if Ed Oliver's matched up against him and how he does. I think they matched up in the preseason maybe a couple years ago, and that was something that fans were looking at. But, yeah, I, I don't think this one's close, Bill. I really don't. I, I think the Bills go out and handily win this one. I think it's 36-17, and it's not close right from the beginning. I think it's a comfortable win as well. I think it's um, more of a lopsided affair than my final score indicates. But I've, I, you know, through trials and tribulations or whatever people say, I have grown to really understand that Las Vegas is right a lot. So I'm. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> they're really on the money. Yeah, they nailed the over under this past week so with the I, Bills game. I'm going 31-24 Buffalo. I think you know Indianapolis somehow. That's a scores. comfortable win. I think Indianapolis scores a late touchdown. So Got we're it. up, you know, think about that. We're up a couple scores there going into the fourth quarter. And I think we cruise, Dan. I, I really do. And I'm really tempted to say this is going to be an absolute blowout. Good friend of the show, Ace, thinks that this is your modern-day Bills-Raiders AFC Championship game, 51-3 type feeling. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, that's where I'm at. With this team right now, with the year that we've had, there's this team screams at me, destiny. It absolutely screams destiny. We don't have glaring holes. We have depth. I think that this team is Super Bowl bound, and I think it starts Saturday. I think they got the right mindset right now. It's the right group of guys. We've been through it a time before. This is the year, Dan. This is the year. And, hey, and, and you look around the AFC. Every other team right now has issues galore. Can, we can go through them. We have. We'll do it again next week. Mm-hmm. But this is our year, our time. I, I agree with everything you just said. And do you buy that that – do you buy – now, it's easy to say it now because after that Hail Mary, they won five straight – excuse me, six straight to end the year – do you buy the Micah Hyde who said it multiple times after games of saying that was a turning point of the year? Deion Dawkins mentioned in his article that they realized that games like that don't really matter. They have eyes on a bigger prize. One thing they said, and again, it's easy to say it now looking at the defensive, how the defense has improved. I think it's a lot more prevalent with the quarterbacks they've played and the how they've gotten healthier, but they said that they know that they need to bury teams early. They can't rely on the offense. Okay, Earlier in the year, even when they played great, they let the Rams come back in. They have to win it late there. They even against that first Jets team, they have to finish. They have to recover an onside kick. That's a couple wins early in the year. So the defense after that game, according to Micah Hyde, said we need to step it up. We need to bury teams. Uh, Deion Dawkins said this after this past week. We I think after the Patriots game, we want to kill teams. We don't just want to beat them. So maybe it was a turning point. But this team does seem to have a different swagger to them. Not even so much of a swagger, but a different just mindset to them after that Cardinals game. Last point I'll make about this game is. The Bills' defense was a huge, huge issue, and Dan said it earlier in the show, the first eight games of the season. During those first eight games of the season, and it was said in our interviews, the Colts' defense was one of those elite units, and over the last eight games, it has been very far from that. So I'm not going into this game nervous about this stalwart Colts' defense at all. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that 
there's nothing that can stop this offense right now. I, my only concern is Buckner, and if he gets, if he just blows up the interior of the offensive line, I don't see it happening. You think he's gonna pull Mongo Feliciano or Ike? Or yeah, we love Ike. We don't Ike. like Ike on this podcast. We love we Ike. love Ike. You and heard it here first. You heard it here first. Ike's so. wife can come on the show. Yeah. Well, um, so we have. We both have convincing wins. Buckets has a, a sneaky late touchdown to make the score closer than what it appears. But we have the Bills moving on, hosting a second playoff game that maybe, maybe not Buckets and I will be at. We'll find out at some point after the Bills win. Let's move on to the rest of the playoff preview. Buckets, let's wrap it up here. We'll go game by game. Quick hitting playoff preview here. 4 o'clock Saturday, right after the Bills game. Rams at Seahawks. They split the season series. Is Jared Goff playing? We don't know yet. The CXD has turned it up in the second half, but if you look at the quarterbacks they've faced, that's a clear reason why Jamal Adams is questionable for the game. If I could sum it up briefly, I think it's going to be an ugly, boring game. I think the Seahawks win 24-16. Yeah, I think Seattle finds some offense in this game, and it's going to be a 30-20 to beatdown over the L.A. Rams. So we both have Seahawks moving on. How about 8-15, the nightcap on Saturday? Man, the NFL loves Tom Brady, giving him a primetime game versus the worst team in the playoffs. Alex Smith is still hurt. Ron Rivera saying they might rotate quarterbacks. Chase Young is taunting Brady. That's a smart move, Rook. We'll see how that works out. I think it's going to be closer than people think, though. I think it's going to be tied or a three-point game at the half, but Tampa Bay pulls away at the end, and they win 30-20. to I don't. I think Tampa Bay's defense is very good. Brady's getting that deep ball going right now. You think Mike Evans actually might be healthy. 34-20, to 20, Tampa Bay. Classic buckets and Dan. Just chalk. And it is chalk for us. We All can right. agree on everything. <laughs> Great. <laughs> 1 o'clock Sunday. This will be a nice game to wake up to after the celebration from the Bills game. Ravens-Titans. Titans won week 11, 30-24. I have a I have this one being like an instant classic. I, I think that's going to be high scoring. It's going to be very entertaining. Some big defensive plays, some turnovers, some some real highlight real plays. I but I have at the end the Ravens coming out with uh, victorious, avenging their loss last year, and they win thirty six thirty three. Dan, it's going to look like twenty sixteen because Justin Tucker is going to dab on him after he makes a huge field goal <laughs> in time expiration. 31-28, Baltimore. Time expiration. Do you mean as time expires? <laughs> as time expires, <laughs> Justin Tucker will dab on him. All right. How he about did that. He used to do that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. That's that was his thing. Four, I'm bringing it back, too. 4 o'clock Sunday. Bears at Saints. Saints win, Saints won, excuse me, 26-23 in overtime in Week 8, but I think Nick Foles was the quarterback. I could be wrong. Um... What do you think? Bears stink. Saints win. They don't look great either. Doing it, 29-17, New Orleans. Upset special. I've been on the Mitch Trubisky bandwagon since day one, and I got the Bears, 23-20. I think if he wins, he's their quarterback next year. If he doesn't win, he's not their quarterback next year. 23-20, Bears. The nightcap, the game that might get moved, depending on what happens from the recording of this podcast to when it's launched Browns at Steelers. Browns will not have their head coach, former Bill offensive, excuse me, former Bill quarterback and current offensive coordinator for the Browns, Alex Van Pelt, will be calling plays. They're without a starting guard. They have several other key players that may or may not be missing the game. I think they rally around that, and it's closer. I mean, you know what they say, no love lost between these two teams, Bill. 
Dan, you said they lost a starting guard. I think the starting guard that they lost is more impactful than losing Stefanski. That's Joel Batonio. He's an all-pro level guy, and he's gonna. He would likely be matched up against probably. I'm guessing. Cam Hayward, another all-pro guy. I think Cam Hayward, because of that, goes off. I think Cleveland keeps it close because I think Pittsburgh stinks, but I think Pittsburgh wins 23-21. to Listen, Baker Mayfield's had one interception in the last eight games. A lot of that is because their offensive line is fantastic. Baker Mayfield's a guy when he can sit in the pocket and deliver a throw, he's a good, solid, efficient quarterback. When he's under pressure, that's when he struggles. And I think that is going to play a huge role. He's They're going to pressure Mayfield, and he's going to throw one, maybe two interceptions, big ones. Love that. And I have the Steelers winning 27-23, which means we have the Steelers coming into town for which the Which I love that. So do I'm I. all over that, I'm, Dan. We're going to be there. Some tells me that that might have a lot to do with um, see, uh, subconsciously our bias of wanting that. Might have to do with that prediction, but maybe not. So hopefully all this stuff comes true. The Bills will keep on waltzing on. I want to thank our, excuse me, we want to thank our guests, Kevin Bowen. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Bowen and Andrew Walker. Like Bill said very early in the podcast, we have a sneaky, unbelievable blast from the past in the works for next week. He, if I think it's confident we can say, and this will be the one tease we get, he was the player of the decade, excuse me, player of the decades from about, that player of the decade from 2000 to 2010. Yeah, we're not going to be putting him on the board, but, you know, probably a couple years down the road, we're going to be putting him up on the wall. I'll yeah, say that, there Dan. there you go. Dan, I also want to f- finish the show by shouting out Mr. Dressel over at uh, over at Pizza Works on Maple. Thank you for being this week's sponsor. It was the Dressel Show. Love you, Mom. I know.